I was one of the people who served on the first Judicial Services Commission. And I was then selected to be one of the few people who did the shortlisting to appoint the judges that are going to go to the Constitutional Court. I did the shortlisting. And uh, he was one of the candidates. And I served on that Judicial Service Commission when we appointed him. And I'm very glad that I could play a positive role because I'm very proud of him, of what he did. Him meaning? Meaning judge Albi Sachs. <laughs> Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers, aimed to give you the story behind the story. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes that led to the writing of these books. If you're a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer. Sure, Bilalani. It's very emotional for me uh, meeting you here today and I remember our first meeting because we were just names to each other then. I was Comrade L.B. Sachs, a name. I'd been blown up maybe a year after the bomb uh, in exile. We're very excited because the comrades from home uh, are coming up and the one I knew very well was Dalla Omar mm. and he was very proud of his he wouldn't say protege mm. but I think he saw you a little bit as his protege mm. from Cape Town Bulalain and Mocha and I remember being very taken with your friendship with, with Dalla but also your own energy you'd also you'd been in jail you'd been through the mill but you didn't come up as somebody with a long face full of moans and complaints about how tough life was and difficult. Uh, there, there was a great brightness. We were very idealistic and, and looking to the future. And the occasion of the meeting was the Constitutional Committee of the ANC. And uh, I'd been appointed with uh, several other comrades in, in exile by Oliver Tambo to serve on the Constitutional Committee, it was early 86, and we had clandestine contacts through Zolus Guia with people back home, and now it was all happening. ANC, PAC unbanned, particular activity possible, the comrades from home coming openly to Lusaka and meeting with us. It was such a joyous, a joyous encounter. So, um, that was my first encounter with you. Uh, that sense of brightness, uh, of energy, of conviction. Um, and, and when it came to being asked to write the forward for the book, I was absolutely delighted. <coughs> Mainly because I just remembered those days, I remembered the work we did, I remember the contribution we made but also because I think it's a terrific book, the writing of the book. Uh, and I'm so sorry Marion's not with us now because uh, books don't write themselves. No. When you read them, they must read as though they wrote themselves, as though, gosh, there's the only way to come out. And I'm sure you went through many labors with her 
many revisions and juxtapositions and placing things. But I enjoyed it as a read. I enjoyed it as a very important piece of our history. I enjoyed it because I discovered so much. You know, there's this thing called the separation of powers. Uh, we use it as a grand mm. term of constitutional law and modern political society is an element of democracy. And it's very important. But in a way, it broke up our friendship. We would have been meeting each other <laughs> all the time, everywhere, socializing, going out. We both live in Cape Town. But separation of powers, I'm a judge. And I can't hobnob, in particular with the Member of Parliament and then the <coughs> National Director of Public Prosecutions, because we have to be apart. Uh, there mustn't be any feeling in society that everything's sewn up in advance, that there's secret discussions, that uh, can be done openly through not on a wink, uh, we're all on the same side. So you have to be independent of LB, now Justice LB Sachs, and I have to be independent of, of Bulolani, National Director of Public Prosecution, before that member, member of Parliament. So reading the book, uh, in a way, brought me into a world from which I was excluded because of my position as a judge on the Constitutional Court, appointed in October 94 and sworn in in, in February 1995. So all of this is to explain why um, it, it, it's such a joy, actually, to be connected with the book. It's wonderful that we can unseparate our powers <laughs> and, and, and reconnect. Mm. And, and maybe you'd like to, perhaps, what it was like for you meeting yes. this odd-looking guy <coughs> in, in Lusaka. No, thanks very much. Excuse and me. You can't say Comrade Albi <coughs> anymore. Eh? No, 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 Judge. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I think um, I've lost my voice a little bit. You can see it's, it's quite hoarse. Hopefully I'll regain it <clears throat> as we go along. It was such a pleasure to meet you. As you correctly mentioned, Dala had told us a lot about you and we read so much. And so those of us who are younger, the younger generation, we read about you, uh, we hear about you, and then we come into contact with you. It becomes so exciting because um, we hold here, hold you here, um, yo, there's Comrade Albi, you know. Um, <clears throat> he is a, he's a white man, he's an advocate, practicing in Cape Town, he has it all, and he leaves all that and goes and joins the struggle. He could have lived a life of privilege, but he sacrificed all that to fight for a better South Africa. Those for us who were younger were things that inspired us so much. You would say, if a person like Albi believes in this, what am I doing myself? And so when we got together, I will sit there in awe and listen to these wonderful people. The idea of having a constitutional court in South Africa was not one that found favor with us, with the likes of me, and even Dala at that particular point in time. But you and Kada uh, managed to persuade us to say, no, 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 this is important. And also what struck me about you, I mean, Albi, you, you had been bombed, you lost uh, your arm, and uh, you partially sighted, you know, and yet there you were preaching reconciliation. Never once did you seek revenge. There was something for me to learn from that. 
because there were times when you think that I've wasted my youth sitting in jail. And, and how am I going to deal with those people? You know, when I went into the NPA, I inherited some of the security police who were detaining me. I'll tell you one classic example. If you remember, we met in Lusaka the very weekend, the first delegation of the ANC came to Cape Town for the, that grotesque meeting. And we met as a constitutional committee there to work out what are the issues that the leadership should discuss. We were then given a mandate, Dala and I, because we were flying to Cape Town, that we must go and brief the leadership. They were staying at Lord Charles Somerset Hotel. So we got there, and the place was heavily guarded. Who should come to the car um, and check who I am? The very policeman who had detained me six months before. <laughs> and he comes and says to me, yes, uh, who are you? <laughs> and I said, you know me. <laughs> he says, just remind me, who are you again? And I, and I tell him, he says, why are you here? I said, no. He says, well, Bulelani, let me go and check if your leadership wants to see you. Uh. No, he is the one who was interrogating me about being a member of the ANC six months before. And now he's protecting my leadership. <laughs> and he is a buffer between me and the leadership. <laughs> that was very interesting to yeah. us. But I was, as, I, as I was saying, the things that I learned from you, there were so many, but one that stood out was the fact that there you were, having sacrificed everything that you have, they turn on you, but not once did you turn on them. You never, never, not once abandoned your principles. And therefore your standards did not come from them or what they were doing yes. to you. Yeah. And that's the lesson that I learned from you. The second lesson that I learned from you, and there's many in our interactions, was your internationalism. Because you have been outside of the country, you were more exposed. You knew what was happening all over the world, and therefore you were able to infuse the lessons that you have learned back into, into our country. And you taught us that we must be open to new ideas. <clears throat> I was probably the youngest member of the Constitutional Committee. And to a certain extent, I was the one who was being sent around to this, to that, to this. I learned a lot from that. One last thing is you came with this concept, the right to be the same, the right to be different. Mm. I remember we had a meeting at Dallas House with the medical uh, superintendent of Kroteskir and the other guys, all the health practitioners, were worried about what the future South Africa is going to be. And they arranged a meeting for us to go and talk to them. I don't know if you still remember that day. And there where you had to tell them that. To the extent that we want to be free, we want to be equal, but we don't want to be the same as you. <laughs> we want to maintain our differences because that's that's who we are, you know, and that's something that I I took from you. You know, I'd forgotten that, but I think that would have been Dr. Albert Tom, yes, guy, yes, yes, and worried. Uh, we're going to get freedom for the nation, but will we have freedom to be who we are, or would we have to stay in the closet? Could be sent sent to jail for being who we are. And, and that theme of uh, the right to be the same, the right to be different, actually came from when I'd been in the United States uh, at, at a um, seminar called the Justice Seminar, 
headed by uh, then Justice of the Supreme Court, Harry Blackman. Yes. And there was a day mm. on the rights for women. Mm. And there were about 20 of us there, uh, maybe half were women. And some of the women were saying, we want to be able to do everything that men do. And I said, right on. And the other said, we don't want to be like men. Look how they messed up the world. I agreed with that as well. Yes. And then as they went through, I realized, you fight for the right to be the same, equal opportunities, not to be treated in a compartmentalized way because you are who you are, but also the right to be who you are. And then it became very easy to see when it came to sexual orientation and language and culture and religion and so on. Uh, the day I landed in Cape Town, uh, you invited me to stay uh, with yourself and Pumzile in yes. Guguletu. Yes. And I've never been to Guguletu. It didn't mm. exist when I went into exile. Mm. Mm. It was just Langa and Nyanga in Cape Town. Uh, and I was very honored to be asked. Or I could stay with Dallin Farida yes. in Rylands. Yes. Or I could stay with my mom in Gardens. Mm. Mm. And that simple question, where do you want to stay? It wasn't where do you want to stay, it's who are you? And I couldn't live in a white area mm. at that stage mm. with my mom. Mm. I visited her, I mm. spent time with mm. her, but I didn't really know you. So I went to Dalla and Farida. I know. But it was a um, big moment, important moment for me. And um, the very next day he takes me to UWC. Dalla never lost time, eh? Yes. <laughs> if there was yes. something political. Yes, yes. Uh, and it was a meeting of about a thousand Muslims from all over South Africa. Concerned, what does democracy mean mm. to us as Muslims? Mm. Many of us have been in the struggle in the mm. UDF and so on. And he hauls me up on to the stage and Comrade Albie and everybody's cheering and so on and I speak. Mm. And I was able to say, when you come into the new South Africa, you come in as you are. You bring in your religious beliefs with you. Democracy doesn't mean Islam has to be pushed aside or if you Christian, your Christianity means nothing, or if you're a Jew, it means nothing, or if you're secular, that's fundamental to your position. Uh, and I suppose these were reflections that came from being in exile. Yes. But you guys inside, you had a contact with the communities, you had an energy, a brightness. And, and one of the things that I loved about our movement was we never lost the capacity to love. Even mm. laughing at the enemy, even mm. laughing at ourselves. Mm. Mm. I think it had to do with the music, the singing, the traditions of storytelling, you know, all these different elements uh, yes. sort of came in. Okay, can I ask you a question about, well, uh, about the <clears throat> book now? Yeah. Did you find it easy working with Marion? We were open and frank with each other. That's number one. Number two, that to a certain extent we were co-authors of the book and particularly when it came to editing. The reason for that is Marion, I worked with her when she was the deputy CEO of the Constitutional Assembly. I was in the Constitutional Assembly and we're in the Constitutional Committee there. After that, I then hired her, in fact, appointed her to be the CEO of the NCOP when I was the deputy. Mm. Um, and I was running the NCOP at the time. When I left the NCOP, she followed me that's the National <clears throat> Council of Provinces. And then when I left for the NPA, so she followed me 
<clears throat> and became the CEO of the National Prosecuting Authority. So she was familiar with the things that I was doing. And so uh, I left her when, and then she kept on telling me that, no, no, she wants to write two books. She wants to write a book about me and a, another book about Krisani. Mm. Because Krisani was <clears throat> her commander. Yeah. So um, I kept on postponing it. I said, now, now, uh, no, Marion, um, this thing is going to open wounds. Mm. And I don't want to be exposed again. I don't want to expose my family. Some people are going to contest the facts that are there. But she just insisted, insisted. No, we work very well together. So mm. because of this past relationship that we have. And we've been honest with each other throughout our lives. And, and it wasn't a problem that you were both totally dedicated members of, of the same organization. D did it inhibit the storytelling in any way or did you feel she was capable of that uh, it's a kind of closeness and distance at the same time yes in fact it was an advantage because mm -hmm. uh, we were able to see things from a particular perspective both of us because our ideological orientation is the same and so we could disagree about the facts but about the direction we want to go we were on the same wavelength and I, if I understand you correctly, you say ideological. You're not speaking about pure theory of no, politics. No, 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 you're speaking no, no. about integrity, uh, what the struggle was about. Um. And in terms of our orientation towards life. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. You know, um, no, no, I'm not talking about being a Marxist or a this or that. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah. Just in terms of the values that we have. Right. We share those values. What would you say the key elements were of those values? Integrity. Yeah being frank and open with each other and treating each other with respect and dignity. Mm -hmm. And and also, I suppose, in terms of the vision of the country oh, of and oh, why course, one was in the struggle. Of course, of course. That goes without saying. We were both in the same party. We believed in the same things. You know, it doesn't go without saying, Bulalani, and I'm, I'm pushing you because there's a generation today that has absolutely no conception and I'm not saying that as an accusation. It's part of the huge gain we made in South Africa that people are growing up without that heavy burden, that huge stone that was on our shoulders all the time of the crackdowns, of the indignities, of the racism. Uh, and now it's a world of people want to get ahead and they see the obstacles and they can't do this and that and the other. Um, uh, what do you think the key elements were of what, what we were fighting for? You know, um, this is what is lacking now, is that common vision about where we want to go as a country. Mm -hmm. Because at that time, we were clear about what we wanted to do. We wanted freedom, that's number one. Number two, we wanted to build a non-racial and non-sexist South Africa. We wanted to make sure that we have a united country were clear about all those issues. Mm -hmm. Today you ask the youth what do they want, right? Um, there's an issue of unemployment, issue of inequality, right? Joblessness and, and, and poverty. But if you ask the youth, they'll tell you that we just want jobs. You know, that vision is lacking mm. about where you want to take this country forward, which explains why they are not participating 
in the organization, the players, parties, and they are not in politics. As a result, you find all the skilled people, people who can make a contribution to this country, they all run to the private sector because there is nothing that drives them to want to participate in the day-to-day -day, uh, governance of our country. So that's what is lacking. We were young and we took a decision then that the status quo cannot exist. We have to do something to bring about change. What do they do? They don't have that drive, that ambition to make this a better country. And everybody is pointing fingers at others. Can the ANC renew itself? Why is the ANC doing this? Why is it not doing this? Instead of asking themselves, what are you doing to bring about change? Well, that's the contradiction in a sense. We, you know, I used to say, even at the time, the paradox of what we're doing, we're fighting with all our passion to create a boring society. In a sense, we didn't want people to have to put their bodies and life on the line for change. So yes. people have got the vote, they can speak out, they can get education, uh, they can travel in ways that were impossible before. Uh, and, and in a way, it, it's a sadness that too many of our generation, you know, they got tired, they became automatons in work, on the, that's the one side, uh, gave in to temptations, were easily uh -huh. suborned, uh -huh. uh, almost had no immune system. Uh -huh. You know, you grow up in, in a tough capitalist society and you get an immune system to doing wrong things. You get away with it, you don't get away with it, but you, you handle it. And, and here we have people, many have been years without money in exile, that get a little bit of pocket money. Yeah. You have to choose, do I want to buy a beer? Or do I want to see a movie? Uh, you couldn't do both mm. with, with the pocket money. Secondhand clothing came from Europe, you wore it. Uh, but you did it all with, with pride. At the time, I, I was on a platform with Mavusum Simang yes. just mm. three days ago, uh, and, and he was saying, you know, we did all these things. Uh, Oliver Tumble was, was our leader, not because we were scared of him or discipline. We didn't want to disappoint him. Yeah. He, he, the standard he set, you know, was so high. We did it from inside. Uh, Penwell Maduna, you remember mm. Penwell, yes, also from the committee, yeah. very well. And he was saying there we were for, in his case, 15 years, not earning a rand or a cent or a quattro, whatever it was. Uh, but we did it. Lawyers today, you can't imagine them working for 15 years simply for the cause. Yes. You know, yes. maybe 15 minutes yes. a donation. Yes. So it, it was such a different world. But you can't blame people for not having that spirit and energy. Um, but isn't that the challenge that we have? Our fathers were better. All they wanted was for us to be better than them. Uh -huh. Okay? They send us to school. They sacrifice everything they had so that they can raise their kids, right, to be in a better position than they were. And certainly we can say we did. And they had no resources. Um, there were domestics, uh, laborers, um, and managed to take us 
to university and whatever, we have not been able to achieve what they achieved with mm-hmm. our own kids. Mm-hmm. If you look today and say, of course we've got our freedom, we've got everything else, but are we better off than we were in the last decade? And the answer is going to be no. As a society, have we advanced? Have we progressed? The answer is no. And that becomes then the challenge. What do we do? Have you had any contact with the fullest um, generation? Yes and no. Um, you mentioned this thing that all of us are two peers now, running around pursuing our own um, careers. Uh, we no longer have those get-togethers we used to have, whereby you sit around, you exchange ideas. I don't know when last did I see you. One of the most uh, exciting periods in our time was when we had those meetings of the Constitutional Committee, mm. uh, exploring ideas and so forth. Those kids don't have those opportunities. And I mean, I've not I, been I able to share those. very good fortune uh, at the height of the Fallist movement to be invited uh, to meet or, or to go to the University of Cape Town. Mm. And that big lecture room was packed. Mm. Uh, and I had a speech prepared and I come in and I see them and I said it sounds like the height of narcissism but I see hundreds of young LB sitting there right. you know they were on fire mm. they were on fire mm. and they did a lot of things that were very ugly of course burning mm. Mm. Uh, mm. books and pictures are mm. ridiculous mm. A lot of complaints from the women that the men were swaggering and and tough and and you know loved it if the cameras were looking at them mm. and so on. Uh, some security guards were threatened with being burnt. You know, totally unacceptable yeah. things. But yeah. there was an energy, there was a pulse there. This wasn't about jobs and money and so on. They connected up with the workers. Maybe it was a good yeah. strategic, it was a very good strategic move because the workers knew how to demonstrate yeah. and sing and mobilize yeah. and so on. But there was a passion. Uh, and, and I see some names of Piccoli and so on. I see a little bit of the, you know, the genealogy, yes, if you like, yes, 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 uh, yes. functioning there. <clears throat> Uh, and it gave me a lot of hope mm, that mm. a new generation is emerging. Mm. They're not just cynical people. I'm meeting a lot of young people now, very bright and pert. When I went to the University of Cape Town, it was before COVID, and my wife, uh, Vanessa September, had done a postgraduate degree right. uh, in, in urban design. She'd mm. done architecture before. Uh, and and I saw... It used to be Jamison Hall. It's now Sarki Bartman Hall. Is that so? Yes. Wow. And <clears throat> the parents had come down from all over the country, and and um, the um, it was the Faculty of Engineering and Architecture, mm-hmm. uh, scientific thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd say sixty percent of the graduates were black. Right in an area that had been exclusively white before, mm. maybe one or two here mm. and there. Uh, and the families were there. Mm. And, and, and Mamakheti was speaking. And they were ululating and singing. And mm. they were singing and mm. ululating and, you know, the place was being Africanized mm. 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 in a way that 
carried everybody along. Right. Seemed natural. I was so thrilled because UCT is my alma mater. Mm. Uh, I was more at home mm. at UWC. Of course. I couldn't mm. speak the languages the people mm. spoke. I didn't mix socially with the people, but I felt at home there. Mm. UCT, I speak the language, it's mm. my background culture, mm. but I felt a little bit strained. And now it, that strain was, was less. Uh, and I see that as, as um, a sign of, with progress. all the problems, that there is progress. It's, it's a slow progress. It, it's a systemic progress, if you like. It's happening all the time. Uh, and and um, we're doing some things right. Sure, but my, 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 this is my dilemma, uh, Conrad Albi. You're absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> Comrade Albert. <laughs> you can't be judged. <laughs> you see all these pockets, right? And you're very excited about them. <clears throat> but when you look in terms of the formations that we have, you're not getting anywhere. Um, you see the new political parties that have come up. They're not progressive. I mean, you take uh, Herman Mashaba's action movement, you take Gaten McCain's, you take the EFF and all those things, all those other political parties. There's nothing progressive about them. And you ask yourself, where is the youth of this country? This is not what we fought for. This is not what we believe in. This is where the, 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 the crisis for me is. In that, there's very few of these people who are coming into the mainstream and being able to take over. Some people uh, talk about uh, the ANC, it's in decline, it's in decline, wara, wara, wara. But in terms of the values that the ANC stands for, who's there to take over those values and, you know, and take this kind of yes. forward? So in I terms of the values, I not the organization, I'm not talking about organization, no, 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 I'm no, just no, talking no. about the values. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I can't say yes, I can't say no, I can't even abstain. I'm a former judge. So so it's lovely to hear what you have to say. It's going yep. into my so, head. Uh, so I won't make any comment on that because I have to be, even as a former judge, uh, very non-partisan. Anyway, it's terrific to see your energy uh, and and your tongue and your brain working. And, and it came through in the book. You know, it, it's a wonderful fluency in, in, in expression very last thing I, I, I want to ask you about, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, where did you do your articles? In Devon, with Griffiths and Klein. Exactly. Mm. Now, um, a very odd thing has happened to me. Uh, uh, I've been approached by uh, Amal and George Clooney yes. to yes, yes. accept an award. Mm. It'll be a big event in, in New York later mm. this year. Mm. And and um, uh, it's for justice. Mm. And they're going to give to other people and they're going to call the awards the Albies. Right. So Albies going to receive an Albie. Ex excellent. Uh, and, I mean, I was very thrilled. Uh, I like them as people. We've mm. met them. Mm. I like mm. their values. I'm happy mm. to be associated with them. I feel a little bit uncomfortable being singled out. Mm. Because, you know, our tradition was we were always part of a team. Mm. You didn't want to be singled out. It was even right. embarrassing right. to be singled out. So when, when I accept 
I make a point of, of commenting on I'm the visible and still living uh, survivor of a particular generation. Right. And my, my trauma is visible. Other people suffered internally. Uh, but I'm part of that generation and and the two people whose names come to me most quickly are Griffiths Kange mm. and Brom Fisher. Yes. But I never knew him. I knew Brom very well. Right. Can you tell right. me a little bit about him and the influence he had on your life and how mm. he came to an end? Um, Griffiths and Tala are probably <clears throat> the three, the two most important people who sort of molded me into becoming who I ended up being. Of course, with the exception of my family. <clears throat> Griffiths comes from um, <clears throat> King Williamstown. He was born in King Williamstown. He comes from a family. Uh, his father was working was an ordinary laborer at Checkers. Um, he went to Forte, did his BA at Forte University, became a member of the ANC Youth League. Um, very active in the ANC. He left Forte and went to the University of Natal <clears throat> to do his LLB which is what helped him. Did LLB at the University of Natal. While she was doing the LLB, he was then arrested for furthering the aims of the ANC and convicted and sent to Robben Island. He spent two years in Robben Island and was released. He did his articles uh, in Devon. Very interestingly, when he was in detention, he was already married. Um, his wife was pregnant at the time. Victoria. And the police came to him and said, uh, your wife has had a miscarriage. And so he accepted that. When he came to the trial, the wife came with a baby. <laughs> I so shouldn't have laughed, but such lies. Eh? He asked, was this? He said, no, this is your son. He says, no, but my son is dead. He says, where do you get that from? He says, but that's what the police told me. So he spent months in detention thinking that his baby's dead when mm. in fact was alive. So so he gets released, does his articles in Devon, completes the articles, he wants to be admitted, they object. Because you could not practice law if you are listed under the Suppression of Communism Act. Even though he was convicted for furthering the aims, but he was a listed person. So there he was working in Devon as a clerk. Was taken in by an NIC guy, that is Natal Indian Congress guy, Upa <coughs> And then he moved from Bagwadin to Supersad, George Supersad, who was the president of the Natal Indian Congress. Very good comrades. And he practiced there. Well, he didn't practice because he could not be allowed to practice. One day he was walking in town. He bumped into Professor uh, Matthews, who was his lecturer and was the dean uh, at the Faculty of Law at the University of Natal. And he told him, look, I can't practice. Why? He says, this is the reason. He says, okay, I know a friend of mine. He's a professor of law at UNISA, Professor Strauss. He's a friend to Pent Jansen, who was the deputy minister of mm -hmm. Bandu Affairs. Matthews facilitated that, and Pent Jansen then invited GM to come to Cape Town. They met here at the airport, which was called DF Malan Airport at the time. And he said, look, I'm not vindictive like communists. I'm going to allow you to practice. I will remove your name from the list. And GM didn't know whether to, <laughs> to respond or not respond. He says, ah, no. I, he said, look, I was not listed by communists. And Penjian said, no, no, you can go and practice. I don't want to have a political argument with you. So he then started his own practice 
you know what George Subasa did? He gave him all the files he was working on. He said, take all these files and go and start your own practice. He started that practice. One case that put him on the map immediately was the case which is reported, a case of Telase Triliza. Triliza versus the Minister of Police. Triliza was one of the ANC people who was banned. And the security policeman called Van Dijk met him in town and called him a kefir. So rather than go and fight with Van Dijk, he went straight to GM's office and said, this is what Van Dijk had said. And GM said, let's sue him. So he issued summons against the minister. The case went to court. The court found, the police of course were denying that they ever said that. Uh, the court found that indeed they did utter the words complained of. However, the word kefir was not an insult. So then I, you know, I shouldn't laugh. I'm laughing at the cruelty, the deception, the mendacity of the system yeah. then. Yeah. He then appealed the case. But then it mobilized public opinion. The media played a very positive role in that case. The churches and everybody denounced it. And then by the time the case went to the Supreme Court in, in Peter Maritzburg, even the judges were under pressure somehow. So no, they returned the verdict to say, no, the word kefa is an insult for the first time in the history of South Africa. That's the case that put GM in the map. And thereafter, we were doing all the political cases in South Africa. We represented the family of Steve Zubiko. We represented the family of Mapetla Mohapi, who, was, mm -hmm. who died in detention. Mm -hmm. uh, Lydia Mruli, we did the PAC trial of Zephaniam Tuping. He was a very, was a strict disciplinarian, generous generous to a fault and a very tough guy if there's anybody i know who did not know the word fear that's him he was not afraid of anything and of anybody he was very active uh, in the struggling and uh, a very 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 good boss now you did your articles with him under him did them under him yeah i was his first article clerk right and then you moved then you were arrested then i went to jail uh, how did he come to an end? He was killed by the security police. The story is the the head of Natal, a security police, a guy put a deaf under woven. He called Dek Kutsie and said Mklanga is giving them a lot of problems, he must make a plan, which means he must kill him. So on the first day they hired these guys. Well they didn't hire those guys, they were the policemen. So they drove down to Devon. The first thing they did was to poison his dogs. He had two dogs, the bull terrier. They poisoned his dogs on the first day. He gave them meat, poison, the dogs died. The following day, when he came back from office, um, there was a car that was parked there, uh, pretending that uh, they were changing the, the tire. And he stopped to see if he could help them. And then they attacked him. They stabbed him many, many times. I can't even recall. And then they dropped him at the uh, soccer uh, uh, stadium. Of course, they narrated themselves that he took the knife out and charged at them. Mm. And they clobbered him until he died. Um, the story that I take out from there is uh, they took the car, dropped it near the border, and bent it near the border to, the border to Swaziland and bent it there. Um, we found him, I actually found GM at the mortuary the following day. Mm. <clears throat> and I asked the police, before I went to the mortuary, I asked the police if they knew where he was. They said no. 
if they knew if they had detained him they said no and of course they knew that he had been killed um, and then three years later same thing happened to his wife mm. you know for the same thing exactly um, in his case he was shot right in front of her own house as she was coming back at that time she was defending the the UDF's prison trial was she a lawyer then? Yes. 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 She took over the practice. Right. And ran the practice. Yeah. Right. So then I should include her as well. Please. When I tell tell the story. In fact, uh, one of the things that I did, I named the head office of the National Prosecuting Authority. It's called the VGM building. So it's Victoria and Crivism Anger building. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I will certainly take that story with me. Uh, when I travel. Well, just to end then our, our podcast, how's the book doing? They tell me that it's doing very well. It's doing very well, that it's in the, what, top 10 now of the best sellers um, in the country. I see you, you're losing your voice. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> so it's we're getting the words before <clears throat> the your vocal cords give up yeah, entirely. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let, let me say this to before we end. I was one of the people who served on the, the first Judicial Services Commission. And I was then selected to be one of the few people who did the shortlisting to appoint the judges that are going to go to the Constitutional Court. I did the shortlisting. And uh, he was one of the candidates. And I served on that Judicial Service Commission when we appointed him. And I'm very glad that I could play a positive role because I'm very proud of him, of what he did. Him meaning? Meaning Judge Albi Sachs. <laughs> I, I was on that chase. Yeah. I was part of the people who appointed you. And I'm very happy that, uh, in fact, that first uh, constitutional court uh, cohort, I was very, very proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very proud, and well, I'm glad. Well, thank you. I'm very glad that uh, I must thank you for the forward that you did for my book. Well, then you that no gives idea. me an opportunity then um, to say how proud I was. You know, the separation of powers thing is terrible. <laughs> it destroys friendships, natural yeah. contact. We're meeting now after decades. Yeah. But I was so proud of your independence and people who say the government never prosecuted anybody, it's not true. Uh, you know, it, 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 it couldn't have been easy. Uh, Alan Busak, you know, who'd been in the trenches. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, there were other cases. It couldn't have been easy. But you set a standard of independence, of, of, of fulfilling your oath to uphold the Constitution, uh, of establishing a team of organizing of what you call vision and values uh, and if nothing else uh, it makes this book so valuable because you you're writing about your real lived experiences of what's possible in this country uh, even all the people from the opposition you know who were so skeptical were amazed I don't know if you were involved in the gravy train people with parliament mm, 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 you'd, you'd mm, been them. you'd been sitting with them mm. uh, you'd been in trenches with some mm, of them mm. but if they overstep the mark if, if they violate the laws mm. 
prosecute. No, I prosecute it. And you don't do it to serve any interests of your own. It's nothing to do with factions uh, or, or, or advancement. Mm. Uh, and you paid a price. You paid a very, very mm. heavy price. In mm. a way, it was a signal of what was to come uh, later on. But what's wonderful now is to see you smiling. You are smiling. Thank you. And some of the people who were so critical mm. and, and, and so hostile, they're not smiling today. Yes. So yes. what that signifies, the viewers and the readers of the book can make up their own minds. Thank you. Thanks, Judge. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews. So head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast. <laughs>